Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale. We're talking about the stories we tell ourselves, the mindsets, myths, and misinformation that can hold us back, and then turning our focus to action steps that bring about success mastery in business and life. The goals are to define success on our own terms and to master that success without excuses or apologies. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Mindset Meets Mastery. Ah, it's going to be a good one, but I got to tell you that I had kind of a, a situation happen to me this morning that hadn't happened in a long time, and I think it was because I was thinking about this topic, and so this was kind of a, a gift, I guess. I don't know. I'll tell you the story about what happened, and then you can tell me whether you think it was a gift or not. Um, I was laying in bed this morning and thinking about my day, thinking about all the work and all the things ahead of me that I had to juggle. You know, we've all, we've all had those kinds of days. And then I thought, you know, it's cold outside, but it's so warm in this bed. I'm just going to stay here. And then my mind started to take it from there and travel down that deep, dark hole of, I don't want to. I can't. Oh, I'd rather be. (sighs) I'm so overwhelmed at work. You know, I really don't like this person and I don't like that person and I don't like the way they treat me and, you know, all that stuff that just kind of sucks you into that negative space. And the more my thoughts turned negative, I noticed some things. I noticed that I was less and less interested in getting out of bed. I mean, really, think about everything I just said. Would you want to get out of bed and face that kind of day? Um, No. The answer basically is no. So let me tell you, I've had a lot, I mean a lot, many, 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 many years of practice with this kind of what I call stinking thinking <laughs> from way back when I was growing up in a ch- as a child. Um, stinking thinking was kind of a family legacy. Our fa- I was raised in a household where everything was dark and it was a, there was a really negative outlook on life. But I've learned over the years as I've tried to overcome that the negative self-talk and the negative thinking that it's very important during these situations to, for me anyway, to apply the brakes to this mindset before I ever get out of bed or it sets the tone for my entire day. It's like it starts sucking me down that dark tunnel and it keeps sucking me in, bringing me in and bringing me in and bringing me in and it's, it's hard if not impossible once I put my feet on the floor and start moving forward to change that so I work hard to turn my mindset around before I even get out of bed and what I have to do is kind of really just clean everything out of my head erase what my brain is imagining and imagine something else so I'm building a vision or a world in my head so on a day like today when it's cold outside I imagine myself sitting on the beach I use all of my senses to kind of take in the beauty around me I can watch the fluffy clouds kind of slowly pass by me or I can watch the children playing in the sand I listen to the waves and the seagulls making noise overhead I feel the warm sunshine on my face and on my body You know, sometimes I can get really good at this so that I can lick my lips and taste the salt water, you know, almost taste that salt water that the breezes had, you know, had it land on my lips. But once I do this for a minute or so, then I can turn my thinking around and start saying things to myself like, woohoo, I get to do my radio show and podcast today and I have a fabulous guest. I get to help a client write her book, something that she gets to do because she's wanted to do it for years and years. I get to be a part of that. I get to decide if I'm cooking dinner tonight or if we're eating leftovers or if hubby's bringing takeout home. (laughs) You know, I get to do that. Finally, it turns to I get to be graceful and grateful to get out of bed this morning. I get to be grateful that I get to face another day. Now, 
I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that this is easy because as we all know, there are things that we, we try to do goals that we set some days it's easier than others. And having an attitude of gratitude is pretty much the same thing. And in this time that we're living in, there's so much negativity, so much uncertainty, so much change, so much loss, so much focus on our differences. I feel like everybody is yelling to be heard, but no one's listening. And I think too many people are focused on what they don't have and are making demands for more instead of being grateful for what we have. So overall, I think sometimes there's a tremendous lack of gratitude for what we actually have, no matter what it is. But you see, it's so easy to get pulled to the dark side. You heard that like 10 second, you know, lack of gratitude tirade I just did. So it's easy to get away from that attitude of gratitude, especially if you don't practice it and you don't live it and you don't understand how it works or why it matters. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about gratitude. How does it work? Why does it matter? Because it really intrigues me and it intrigues me about how it impacts my life and my outlook and what I'm actually able to get done. I don't understand how or why gratitude works. I only know that when I practice gratitude, I feel different. It sets the tone for my entire day. So today we're going to talk about gratitude and answer all of these questions. Specifically, we're talking about the science of gratitude and how it plays out in our lives and in our brains. So to help us dissect the understanding of all things related to gratitude is my special guest today, Stacy Danford. Stacy is an educational neuroscientist, that's a mouthful, an educational neuroscientist and owner of The Gratitude Business, a consulting company using the neuroscience of gratitude to help people and companies increase their overall well-being. Stacy has earned a master's degree in mind-brain education, and she's got 25 years of experience in teaching. During her graduate studies, Stacy focused specifically on the neuroscience behind gratitude and the chemical and electrical changes that it causes in the human brain. She was voted one of Fort Worth Magazine's top 10 teachers of the year. Yay, we love teachers. And she's educated thousands of people on how to achieve greater success by using their brain to maximize their strengths. So please help me welcome Stacy Danford. Yay, hello Stacy. how are you today? Hello, so good to be here. Well, thank you, thank you. I am grateful for your time and your expertise and your willingness to, to share all of that with us today. So thank you for being here. You're so welcome. I'm always happy to talk about brains and gratitude. Well, brains, okay, so <laughs> that's kind of... <laughs> I know I'm being silly. Um, let's step back a little bit and let's just kind of define define the term gratitude. What is that? What is is there a scientific term versus the way we use it? For example, well, it it is very different. Actually, people think gratitude is just saying thank you, and really that's just good manners. And scientific gratitude is very different and has nothing necessarily to do with manners. It's a feeling that you feel that creates a connection in your brain. And feelings are very different than just saying thank you. And I always describe it as, you know, if you go to Starbucks and the lady hands you your drink and you say thank you and drive off, that's not gratitude. That's just good manners. That does <laughs> nothing for your brain whatsoever. It, however, makes people feel really bad if you don't say thank you. Right. And ingratitude is actually one of people's biggest pet peeves, uh, but that's, that still has nothing to do with your brain. But in order for you to have a chemical or electrical um, signal in your brain, you have to have the feeling of gratitude. So when somebody hands me my coffee, I always take, it only takes 10 to 30 seconds to activate the chemicals in your brain. And people tell me, you know, all the time, I don't have time to be grateful. Well, 10 seconds, we've all got 10 seconds. So if you just hold the coffee and you can be grateful for the warmth, you can be grateful that someone else made it for you. You can be grateful they did your special order. They, you can be grateful for the sweet and sour or whatever it is. 
but that's what it takes. Those are the wires that have to create signals in your brain. Why that you're grateful. And that word why is important. Why? Well, and I love that because, you know, I have, I order what my husband calls a chai tea high maintenance. <laughs> so it's very, very specific. So because of that, I go in because if it's not right, I don't want to drive back to the building or park and go in anyway. Uh-huh. So I go in and I've learned that before I even leave, I taste my chai tea latte high maintenance and I kind of feel the warmth kind of ooze down into my body and I look at the person and I go wow this is perfect thank you (laughs) and they look at me like I've sprouted an extra head or I'm speaking Uh a foreign language so they must not get that true feeling that somebody is grateful for their service because like I said at that point I'm I'm all into the chai tea latte and I am truly grateful that, and that's so true that the reaction that people, when you give them real, genuine gratitude, it's always almost in shock because we get it so little. And the research shows that gratitude is actually the greatest predictor of a relationship success. Whether oh, it's really? parent, child, husband, wife, employee, and you know, boss, it's the greatest predictor of a healthy relationship. Well, that's interesting. So... So in a relationship, are you saying that, again, is it the, the polite versus grateful that the, the other person can tell or feel the difference? They can feel the difference. And it's one of the few things that activates the chemicals in both the giver and the receiver. And it's so important because our families really, we especially now because of COVID and we're all stuck together, we tend to be a little snappy at the people we actually love the most. And we have kind of forgotten to be grateful because we're so frustrated. But we keep a gratitude list on our refrigerator, and it's just a piece of paper. And we write things we're thankful for for people in our family. But it's always a surprise when you walk past the refrigerator and you see your name on there, you know. And my son will say, Mom, thanks for washing my favorite socks. And I'm like, oh, he noticed. (laughs) And, And when you tell somebody a genuine thank you, and, and it's just really, it's, I noticed you. And we all want to be seen, heard, and understood. And those are the things your brain craves. And that's what makes you feel like you belong in this society. But we do it the least to our own family members. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of sad. I know that there's a feeling that, you know, they're going to love me anyway, even if I am snarky. Yeah. But that's really not the best way to, to rely on a relationship. Right. It, it is. And it's, we try every night at dinner, we do gratefuls and we go around the table and say something we're grateful for. And, you know, it takes a couple of seconds, but I have found out more about my little teenage son at the dinner gratitudes than, you know, cause a teenager is not just going to come mom. Oh, tell me about my day. But when he tells me what he's the most grateful for, and then his feelings get activated because his brain feels it again, he'll tell me so much more. And, you know, he'll tell me about what he did at soccer or PE or he got moved to first chair and band and, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, he would have never told me otherwise. That's so awesome. That's, that would be a great habit to get into, you know, whether it's at the dinner table or just as you're, as part of a nighttime routine or a breakfast routine um, to talk about gratitude um, instead of watching TV or, you know, having the Game Boy like right up here in your in everybody's faces. Um, I got to tell you, that's been a, le- a point of frustration for me lately is, you know, the four of us are sitting together on the sofa in front of the fireplace, drinking our hot cocoa and everybody's on their own device. It's like, stop it. <laughs> you know, this is not what Norman Rockwell envisioned. <laughs> no, it is not. we're more disconnected than we've ever been before and if people in their own homes aren't really talking and everybody you know kind of goes to their corner or they're sitting at restaurants and and, you know in their mask and everybody's on their thing and people are losing the importance of connection which is vital to a healthy brain our brains are wired to be socially connected and it feels like pain to the human brain when you're not Wow. Okay. So you keep saying brain, 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 brain. And I guess as an educational neuroscientist, 
that makes sense to you. <laughs> so help the rest of us understand as a neuro, an educational neuroscientist, what part does the brain play in gratitude? Everything. Okay. Uh, unless you're just saying thank you and it does nothing. But the, your brain is kind of divided into three parts. It used to be called the triune brain theory. But we have like the reptilian brain, which, you know, is like your breathing and, you know, your circadian rhythm and things like that. And then you have the emotional brain, which is the limbic system that sits on top of that. And that's where all of our emotions are. And then you have the prefrontal cortex, which is on top of that. But your emotions are what triggers the chemicals. And when you create thinking, higher level thinking for why you're grateful, you're actually using all three parts of your brain. Hmm. And it's so powerful to the human brain to create more connections. And when we very first started doing gratitudes about, I guess, six or 10 years ago, and I would ask my son, you know, what he was grateful for. And he would, you know, say, I'm grateful I didn't die today. You know, and it was like, oh, yeah, yay. Or if he would say his favorite color is blue, and I would say, why? And he was like, I don't know. I just like blue. You're, our brains aren't forced to think of the why, but that's the one that creates all the connections and gives you all the benefits. And real feelings of gratitude can last up to six hours in your brain. And those chemicals are what our, we crave to be happy. And most people think that things make you happy, new cars, new husbands, new houses, new boats, but those things actually activate the chemicals and the chemicals are what make you happy. And when those chemicals wear off, our happiness wears off. And if you don't know how to give yourself those chemicals again, you're waiting on the outside world to make you happy. Yeah. And that's really hard when you're waiting for other people to fulfill you. So let me ask you a question. Okay, so I can look at a bright yellow Corvette or a bright red Mustang. And I mean, that just that excites me and I can woohoo. That's those are my dream cars. Um, And my dream colors because they're my favorite colors. And I had somebody ask me why is yellow your favorite color? And I really had to think about that. And I know my answer. So I've, I've given that thought. And so when I see the color yellow, it brings those feelings to me. But Back to my my original thought and question. Um, I see those cars and I see something that, you know, releases certain chemicals in my brain and makes me feel a certain way. But you may not feel that way. Why? It's the same car. It's the same color. Why do we have those different reactions? Our brains are as unique as our thumbprints and no two brains are the same. And your brain is wired for your personal taste, experiences, and background knowledge. So there's somewhere along the way that yellow became your favorite color. It it in, entices your brain to create all kind of chemical reactions. My favorite color is yellow, too. Oh. Uh, but probably for, you know, different reasons. And my chemical reaction may be very different than yours. But your brain knows you like that color, so it will give you that boost of dopamine or serotonin, depending on how you feel. And somebody else may despise yellow and they may have their favorite color, maybe purple or, you know, something else that we don't like. And it's each individual brain works specifically for you. And that's why it's so important to understand your brain because that's like your secret sauce. And so many people in the world just walk around and have one in their head and they don't even know what it's doing for you or against you. And it can be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy. Well, and, and, and you're right. It can be either. So there are some days that I feel like I have a lot of thoughts go through my brain and that doesn't bother me because I can prioritize and organize. And there are other days where I have all these thoughts and it just makes me frantic. Um, how many thoughts, is there any scientific evidence to how many thoughts we can have in a certain amount of time and how they make us feel? Well, there's different studies of research. Some people say we have six to 12,000 thoughts, and then some people say 50 to 70,000 thoughts, depending on the person and, you know, kind of how you're wired. But either way, we have thousands and thousands of thoughts every day. But our brain only holds about seven spots of working memory 
at a time. And we are bombarded with, you know, bajillions of stimulus from all over. But our brain, that's where the lizard brain is important because there's (laughs) something in there called the reticular activating system. And those are your basic filters. And your brain knows what's important to you. And it keeps places open to help you notice those things. And if it's not important to me, my brain will say, oh, she doesn't care about that. And it just kind of throws it off. So now that gratitude has become so important to me, I do it every day, all the time. My brain keeps a spot open for things to be grateful for all the time. And I have taught my own brain to look for more things to be grateful for. And we can all change the way our brain works. It's called neuroplasticity. You can rewire the way the structures of your brain are. The same way that people that are very, very negative and their brain is constantly noticing negative things that I didn't even pay attention to. And then they'll say, oh, I'm not negative. I'm just a realist. Well, you know, it doesn't change the world. The fact that I didn't focus on, you know, whatever bad thing is happening. I just have told my brain that, yes, that's out there, but let's focus on something else. Because where your focus goes your energy flows and your wiring grows. And those are the wires that you're telling your brain that's important for you to hold on to. And, you know, if you've ever had a bad day, see people say it goes from bad to worse. And that's because your brain is like, oh, it's bad. Let's keep, that's what we're doing today. Let's look for some more stuff. And you get in that and your energy flows there and your wiring just says, oh, yay, we're looking for bad. I'll help you. <laughs> so so then you're what I heard what my brain process was using the scenario of what happened to me this morning that I'm not crazy that actually works yes it actually works and especially what you did was so great because you caught yourself and awareness is the very first key to changing your neuroplasticity and when you realize like oh I'm in that negative spiral I've got to get out of that It's almost like you just went in reverse. And once you've taught your brain that you have control, that's when you gain the power. Because so many people just think what they think. And, you know, until those negative chemicals wear off, they're just grumpy. And that's really what happens. We're happy until they wear off or we're grumpy until they wear off. But either way, it's about the chemicals. But you have the power to change that at any moment of any day. So let me ask you a question because... I've heard you say before that there's a difference between the brain and the mind. Can you explain that? Because, you know, this is mindset meets mastery. So what is the difference between the brain and the mind and how it creates mindset? Okay. The newest research is showing the line to get even fuzzier and fuzzier. Oh, great. But, yeah. We, they used to think they were very, very separate, that your mind was your thoughts and your brain is the, the physical mechanism. And it it still is, but one cannot work without the other. So they work so simultaneously that you can't really separate them, but they are two separate things. So your thoughts are controlling what your physical mechanism does. So if I think about the tree outside, my brain just wired in what trees are, what they look like, how many we have. So my brain did not do that until I thought about that. So that's where you separate the mind and the brain. The mind is the thoughts and the brain is the physical mechanism. Because they have Einstein's brain in a jar, you know, at the Smithsonian. It's doing nothing because it no longer has thoughts. But they, they require one another to work. But they're a little different, but they need each other. So, you know, is it... And this is how my brain works. It's what I'm hearing you say is it's kind of like having a computer you just bought, but it's got nothing on it. Right. It's the hardware software. You can have the best motherboard and RAM and all that stuff. The most speed. Yeah. But if you don't have Word or Excel or PowerPoint or any of those programs, you just have a really fast computer with nothing in it. And, you know, that's what happens when people are in a coma their brain is still functioning physically. So it's still breathing. It's still, you know, doing those things, but it's not thinking. And because there are no thoughts coming in because people are, have had, you know, an accident or a stroke or something like that. Hmm. They're they're separate, but they're the same. (laughs) 
Well, that, and that brings brings to mind a question, and I don't know, this may be totally out of out of the weird zone here, but is that why they might they say that it's important potentially to talk to people who are in a coma? Yes, and because some of the new research shows that we can hear before we can see when we've had an accident or something like that, the traumatic brain injury people are really, you know, they've done some phenomenal research. But just because, you know, speaking is one of the last things to come back, vision also, but you can hear and process. And so my daughter is an ICU nurse, and she tells me all the time about what people hear and that they'll come to, you know, and say, oh, I heard y'all saying this or that, but they weren't able to speak or they didn't, they, you know, they had their eyes closed. You didn't even know they were hearing. And it's so important, you know, even with our children, what we say to them is what they are processing in their head. And if you're saying, you know, you're lazy, you're fat, you're no good, you're worthless, all the things that especially abused children hear all the time, that's what their brain has processed. And that's what they've taught themselves who they are. And it's so important up until the age of about seven to be sure and build those connections positively because most of the trauma that we carry into our adulthood has come from age seven and under and so we don't really remember what it is but our brain does because our brain holds on to that area of trauma as a means to protect you and so when somebody says something that triggers something that happened a long time ago, we feel hurt or sad or depressed or angry. And, it, and those people didn't do it to us, but right. they triggered it. And your brain holds on to that saying, Hey, remember when that happened before, be careful, be on high alert. And it's so important for people to be careful what they're saying because words process very powerfully in our brain. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know that I'm a book writing business coach. So helping people write books to build their business, and it doesn't matter if it's a personal or a professional story that they're wanting to write, words matter. And if you use a word that means one thing in your industry, but it means something else in the general, general population, you kind of have to process, you know, what, what damage or what attraction is that word creating for you and your business? And if it does that in a business, it's, it can be so totally damaging on children and on relationships in general. Words matter. Words matter. Okay. So get off my little soapbox. Um, Words matter because words bring out feelings and, you know, having been raised in that kind of negative, abusive environment, you know, I can give examples of, you know, 25 years, 30 years later, my husband would say something and he might be quote unquote joking, but it triggers something from 15, 20 years ago. And my brain says, he's out to get you, (laughs) protect yourself. He's going to hurt you. And, you know, my husband doesn't have a mean bone in his body, but I felt exactly what you have said because it is hard to untrain that those words and the feelings that come with them. It's so important because almost all of our triggers, we don't really know why they're there because very few people have like clear memories from under the age of seven. And some of the traumas can come, you know, later on in life, mm-hmm. but every trauma locks into your brain and we hold on to those. And, you know, our brains aren't built for joy. They're just not. <laughs> joy is not a threat to your survival, but danger and heartache and hurt and hunger, all those things are a threat to your physical survival. So your brain remembers those as a way to protect you from it in the future. So we need to be purposeful about recognizing gratitude. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And it is, it's a practice just like exercise or, you know, yoga or meditation or any of the things people do, you know, putting gas in your car, getting the oil changed. We'd love to have a car and we never touch it again, but that's not the way it works. You have to take care of it in order for it to keep running. And our brains are exactly the same way. And if you want it to run efficiently and work for you, you've got to be purposeful of what you do for it. So 
um, you're you're smart. So let me ask you this question because I hear all the time that you know we can have a hundred things happen to us in a day, and one of them can go bad, but that's the one we choose to focus on. Is that true? That is, and and just, that's just like I said that that one. Your brain is like, hey, this hurt. Hurt is a threat to your survival, and it will keep holding on to it and holding on to it. And it's so important to talk to your head. <laughs> and I always say, if you don't talk to your head, your head will talk to you. Ooh. And it will tell you that this is dangerous. This is fearful. That lady will hurt you or, you know, and you're like, no, she's not going to hurt me. She just cut in front of me in line at Walmart. That's not a threat to my survival. But I literally talk out loud to myself and I'm like, okay, Stacy. And I'll give you the best method ever. It's called the stop method. And when you feel your head going out of control and you're spinning in that little emotional frenzy, if you'll say your own name, so the S stands for stop, your brain knows your name better than any other name in the world. So I'll say, Stacy, stop. Instantly, your brain is like, oh, what are we stopping? So it pauses that emotional frenzy just long enough for you to get control again. Then the T stands for take a deep breath. Because breathing is part of that lizard brain, the autonomic nervous system. And that the lizard brain is what fuels all that crazy, the fight, flight, freeze. And when you take over the lizard brain and take over your breathing, you, you're pretty much telling it, I got this. Leave, leave me alone. So it's breathe in for three, hold for three, breathe out for three, and then swallow at the end. Because those are two of the autonomic nervous systems in the reptilian brain. Mm. So now you're taking over. The O stands for make an observation wherever you are, whatever you're doing right in the middle of that second. So it can be, you know, the lady in front of you that has really pretty shoes. It can be, you know, the man behind you has a funny laugh. Like it can be anything. And then the P stands for pause and hold the the thought of that good thing for 10 to 30 seconds. And it is long enough to reactivate your brain. And it's part of what, when they teach emotional intelligence, it's regaining control of the emotional part of your brain. I love that. So stop, stop and say your name, then take a deep breath, make an observation that's positive and then pause and hold on to that good thought. I, I love that. That that's a lot simpler than what I, what I say to myself, but um, you know, for me um, that stop is so important because it's easy to relive and to automatically do that knee jerk reaction to that negative thing than it is to stop and recognize the gratitude in the moment. Right. And, so that, some of the research shows that when we ruminate, you know, how we think about them. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they did that. Why were they thinking? They must think I'm, you know, we, but each time you rethink it and retell it, the, some of the studies show that it actually makes it bigger in your brain and it makes it activate. Every time you tell it, it reactivates those chemicals and those signals. So when you tell somebody your bad day and you've told six people, you've reactivated that six times in your brain and you've made that connection six times tighter and you've released six sets of negative chemicals. And potentially six times harder to break that pattern, right? It is. Yikes. So um, <laughs> one of the things that used to make me so angry and it would just might make my blood pressure spike was when I'd get in the, <laughs> it sounds silly now, um, in the checkout line, where it's, you know, maximum of 10 items and somebody gets in line and they've got like 12 and it's like, you know, and then by the time I get, you know, I tell my husband it was, they had 15 items. Then I tell my son and they had 25 items. And it's like, wait a minute, just stop. The whole thing is silly. So, um, so yeah, so you're, you're talking to me. I mean, I'm, I apologize for being so blunt. But yeah, I've done a lot of things wrong, but you know what? I've also learned how to turn them around and do them right. And that second part of that statement is what took me a long time to take the power back to be able to say, um, cause you have, you have a saying you say to yourself a lot, right? If I'm remembering correctly. I have lots of them. Which one? <laughs> well, one of them that helps get you refocused other than stop and say your name about who you are. 
Oh, yes. I talk to myself all the time. And I'll, I'll say, you know, I, every day I say, you're beautiful. You're talented. You are loved. You're a child of a mighty God filled with focused energy to accomplish 100% of the things you were put here to do. I say that every single day. That's awesome. And see, for me, it's, you know, I, I, I have a degree in marketing and I took a class one time about creating billboards and on billboards you have to keep it to like seven eight words so people can see it as they're driving down the highway you know in a 55 mile an hour zone but they're driving 75 miles an hour they still got to be able to see that and take it in so I created a billboard for my life and my billboard is I'm living a legacy of love and learning because I'm not re- I'm not going anywhere, so I'm not dying and leaving a legacy. So that was important to me. So it's love, learning, and laughter. So those are the three things that are most important to me. Everybody wants to be loved, and I'm no different. I need to learn new things every day because I don't know everything, and I love to learn. And laughter means laughing at a situation, laughing at myself, and doing better, and figuring out what did I learn about that. So I really, whether somebody takes on somebody else's quote that inspires them or figure out, I mean, what, what kind of recommendations would you give to somebody who is trying to change their mindset and focus on something powerful and positive that says something about them every day to create their, I don't know, mantra of gratitude, if you would. I would say to start off super simple. And when I very first started, I was so negative to myself every morning in the mirror and it was, Oh my gosh, you're getting gray hair. You're getting wrinkles. You're getting silly. I mean, it was just boom, 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 boom. And so I would walk past the mirror every morning and I'd go, girl, you look good. (laughs) And that was all I would say. And my son one day said, mom, did you see yourself? And I was like, I know, right. And I looked like crazy, you know, my hair was everywhere. (laughs) And, but he was like, why are you saying that? And I said, because I'm going to teach her that she's awesome. And so I said that simple phrase, girl, you look good for probably two years before I, I believed it. And so now I don't think any of those thoughts in the morning, because I said that so long and I started off crazy, you know, and I was like, you really look terrible. You do not believe that. But after a while, your brain was like, okay, she's not giving it up. Like, I guess we're going to look good. And you will change the way you feel about yourself if you'll be diligent. And the the key is consistency. Consistency is the key to everything. The way you change your brain, food, exercise, I mean, everything. Consistency is the key. So in this conversation, part of what I'm getting from this is that gratitude matters no matter what. Whether we're feeling good and whether we're feeling blessed or whether we're not, gratitude can change our lives. That's exactly right. I'm and the only you. time I would say that I, I tell people, and it's important to feel your feelings because what you resist persists. And anytime you're resisting something, so like say you've got some bad guy trying to break in your door and you're holding the door you're resisting, but you're actually the one that's putting out the most energy to resist. So if you've ever tried to quit eating carbs or what, you know, all you think about are carbs, because when you resist it, you're actually thinking about it all day long in order to resist it. So if you feel sad or you feel depressed or you feel whatever, don't fight it because you're giving more power to it. So it's better to feel the feelings but it's so important, again, to say why. Like, if you're feeling sad, why am I sad? And I write every time I feel something, you know, hurtful or negative. Because when we write it, we're actually letting our brain release it. Writing is so powerful. You know this? I do. Um, but it actually creates thousands of great things for your brain to do. Because your brain's trying to hold all that information. And when you write it down, you let it out. So feel your feelings, but then you need to go back and go, oh, okay, I can change sadness. I can change anger. I can change, if I quit thinking about why I'm angry, quit thinking about why I'm sad. The only thing that I would say for people to be careful for, and there is something called toxic positivity. And Really? Yes. People that it actually backfires on your brain or people that just don't let themselves feel anything and they just change everything. It's kind of Pollyanna syndrome, but grief 
works very differently in the brain. So you can't be grateful that someone's passed away or, right. you know, so it's a grief is different for every person and lasts for different amounts of time in the brain. And so you need to feel that one and you can't really just go, Oh, I'm grateful or whatever. My brother died years ago of a drug overdose. And I'm of course not grateful that he's gone, but now that it's been, you know, 17 years, I am so grateful for the years that we had. And now when I think of him, I think about the precious memories instead of the fact that he's gone. But that took me years and years to do. So if somebody who's listening is feeling grief, you need to feel grief because pushing your grief away will only add to it in your brain. Right. And and grief, I think, comes and goes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know, you know, my mother's been you know, my mother died like six months after I got married. And so she's been gone like three decades. And so she didn't really know my husband very well. She didn't never knew my children. And I grieve that loss. But then I also know that in our relationship, she knew how badly I wanted the things that I have and that she would be happy for me. Um, I can, you know, see a, see something that reminds me of her and I can laugh about it now. Um, I don't think the grief ever, I don't know, never goes away, but it changes. Yeah, it processes differently. Because when people first pass away, you know, your grief is so close to the surface. And, and it's always physical. You're physically sad they're no longer here. And you can't hug and you can't right. talk. And, you, and then as it processes through, your brain is sad for the memories. And then they start to slip away. And you can't remember what they smelled like or look, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I think my brother had green eyes or, you know, you, and so that kind of creates a little bit of a different sadness and mm-hmm. it does. And there'll be some, somebody will laugh and it'll sound, you know, like my brother and I'll, I'll think, oh, I wish he was here to see my kids. And, you know, and I named my little son after him and I always think, oh my gosh, my brother would be so excited if he could see how awesome that you are. Right. Yeah. So I, I like that distinction that you made that we can be grateful for the time we had with them, but that doesn't mean that we should just leap over the grief part. That's yeah. not healthy either. Not healthy at all. At all. So, um, wow, that took a, an interesting turn. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, well, and it's interesting for me too, you know, personally, because I've had several friends who have lost spouses or children recently, or there's been you know, critical medical conditions. And so all of those, and not being able to be with family or travel, or, I mean, there's different things that we're grieving right now. And I think it's, it's okay to grieve. It's just not, I I don't know, for me, I say it's okay to grieve. It's just not okay to live there. Yeah. Don't stay there. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like a great Airbnb and you want to go, but you also want to go home. And I did, I made a list and I always call it the hot dog list. I'll show you. This is my favorite little technique. So you just take a plain old sheet of paper, fold it in half like a hot dog. And then on this side, I'll always write the things that I'm sad about. So whatever the one issue is that's really hurting you, it may be something you're depressed about, losing a job, whatever. Write down the things you're super sad about and own them. It's okay to have those feelings. But then on this side, Think about what you're grateful for. And so like I did that when my brother passed away and, you know, it was several months later and I was sad. I would, he would never get to see my family, all the things. And then over here, I wrote every family picture. He would stick his finger in my ear. You know, he always made me laugh. He called me goofy nickname, you know, and I made a list, which all of a sudden I realized I was laughing about. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had, I didn't realize I had, more on my happy list than I did on my sad side. And I thought, wow, it's almost sad for my brother's memory for me to only focus on the sad side because Mm -hmm. he was such an awesome person. And it changed the way I felt about him. And when my husband got laid off a couple of years ago, we did that about his job. And, you know, you're sad about you lost your job. You, you know, what are we going to do for finance? But then we did the other side, like, wow, that job was awesome. You met so many people. Those people are helping you, you know, mm-hmm. giving you leads. And it, it changes your perspective because there's goods and bads to everything. Yeah. And so gratitude 
is very much about what we focus on and how we focus. Yes. So, because I'm thinking, you know, one of the tools that I use, I love that list, that hot, do- what do you call it, hot dog list? Hot dog. <laughs> hot dog list. I, I've never used that term, but I like it. So I've used, unknowingly have used hot dog lists um, because having grown up in a negative environment, um, spent so much time thinking, you know, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be sad. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't, you know, and, and I guess to me, it's like physics. I learned in physics that where you focus is where you turn and where you go. And if you notice, if you're walking forward, um, but you're thinking, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, but you're so focused on what you don't want, eventually your whole body will turn around and go that way. It's, it's crazy. Um, but so instead of on my hot dog list, it's what I don't want. What do I want instead? I don't want to be angry. What do I want instead? I want to take a deep breath until that feeling passes. And then, you know, that sounds really simple and it sounds like that's not going to really solve this problem. But once you master that, then you can take it to another level and another level. And, you know, so I don't want to be angry. I'm not going to be angry. I choose to say thank you, God, for uh, giving me the money to be in this line at the grocery store. (laughs) Right. And it's reframing in your brain. And because anytime you have the word don't, not, couldn't, shouldn't, any of those things, your brain has to think about what it was in order to think that it didn't or doesn't or, or couldn't. Right. And so if people can just reframe that, and I am building my version of happy or I'm building joy or, you know, same thing with a diet or, you know, I hear people, I have lots of clients that are constantly, you know, trying to lose weight. And I said, but you're constantly thinking about losing weight. That's a negative thing. So your brain is thinking of all the, the weight, wait, 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 wait. And if you'll think about I'm building a healthy lifestyle, oh, like instantly that forces your brain in a different direction and I have really like some days when my teenager leaves 12 towels in the bathroom I'm like how do you use 12 towels and just what is happening I get so mad thinking about what I didn't want I don't want to do another load of laundry I don't want to clean this up and so I have to refocus on thinking I've got to teach him how to hang it up there, use it again the next day. I've got to teach him how to do his laundry. So when he does 12 tells, he can be responsible. But it's just forcing your brain, and it's it's practice. And there again, if you don't talk to your head, your head will talk to you. I love that. If you don't talk to your head, your head will talk to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. If you don't talk to your head, your head will talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, we, we are in control, right? Right. We get to make those choices. But if we don't reframe it or refocus, it will just go down that negative path. Because again, negativity is what your brain is keeping you safe from. So it it has to think about it in order to keep you safe. Just like a zebra, you know, walking through the savannah and a lion's there. They're not just, you know, chilling over there eating, going, ah, I hope he eats my neighbor. You know, they're, they're constantly looking, you know, while they eat the grass, they're looking at the lion because you never stop focusing on what is hurtful or dangerous. Mm-hmm. Same way with our brains. Even though those towels aren't a danger to my livelihood or my being, but my brain knows it's irritating and it's bothering me. And so I would just walk by the bathroom and just get mad. I'd see them in the floor. And so your brain holds every negative thing trying to help you because it's going, Oh, remember this made you mad last time. Look, let that happen again. Right. So we've talked a lot about gratitude, I think in general and, you know, in our personal lives, do the same processes and the same thinking, does that apply in our business life, our professional world too? Yes. And it's actually even more powerful because one of the, the, the studies show that people will buy from someone who has shown them gratitude and you know whether it's just an email a thank you note or or like you said the real feelings of gratitude like you said to the starbucks lady they'll remember your name or little things like that make everybody wants to be felt like oh my gosh they noticed me Mm -hmm. you want to be seen heard and understood those are the things your brain is constantly craving 
And um, in a top down, and if you have a business that has, you know, lots of employees, it can actually raise the productivity by 50%. What? Yes, 50. When the the boss is shows the people at the down lower gratitude, the only thing is it has to be done in the feedback loop for the brain. So most people get like a year-end review or a quarterly review. Mm-hmm. Those don't work. <laughs> what? They, I didn't hear you. What'd you say? Yeah, those don't work. They <laughs> don't work for your brain. Huh. And because the brain does not process anything that far off. So if you're grateful for something your employee did, they stayed late, they finished the proposal, tell them then. Mm-hmm. So then their brain will wire that in. Like, oh, my boss appreciated me staying late. So the next time they stay late, it will tell their brain, oh, yeah, my boss appreciated that. He told me. And those things you tell somebody create feelings. And so many times when we do something bad at work or whatever, you know, we don't find out until the review later. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I would have totally fixed that. I didn't even know you noticed. The same way with something positive. It changes the way teams work together. It's the number one predictor of how people show up at work. Hmm. It drops absenteeism. It changes employee turnover. People spend $160 billion a year on employee turnover. And gratitude is one of the number one game changers. And most HR people think that you leave for more pay, but very few people say that it's about pay that it's about feeling unappreciated. Wow. So we could be 50 more, 50% more productive in our business if we just take a moment to say that we appreciate what you did, whatever effort it was. You know, you sharpened the pencils, you filled the copy machine, you know, you worked late all week so that we could meet this proposal. Whatever it is, it's that immediate feedback that creates gratitude and reinforces the gratitude. Yes. And when, especially when it's specific like that, like you just said, like sharpening the pencils, because specific gratitude really fires the neuron connections in your brain. Because you're like, you know, when you just say, thanks for doing a great job. Well, that's nice to hear. And we do like that. But we're like, okay, what did I do? That was a great job. But when you say something very specific, like, thank you so much for having all these notebooks laid out when the, you know, the, the firm comes in and you're like, oh, you're welcome. And you feel seen, you feel seen. And you're like, oh my gosh, they notice me doing that because our brains want to feel loved and we just don't, they're just not wired that way. And oxytocin is what is the love hormone and serotonin is the social, when we feel like we're socially connected with people and those two last a little longer in your brain than like dopamine goes through your brain really quickly. And those can make people feel appreciated for up to six hours. Well, during those six hours, they're working. They're like, oh my, gosh, my boss really likes me. They care. Well, who wouldn't work harder for a boss that likes them versus one that comes in and gripes all the time or doesn't notice you at all? Right. So um, tell me a little bit about your business. Okay. It is called the Grateful Brain. And um, I am lovingly called the Brain Lady by most of my clients. Um, And it started out as, you know, just about gratitude, but it has branched into the emotional parts of the brain and how we react with one another. Mm -hmm. So um, I have an online course called Chemical Soup. Uh, which teaches people about the four chemicals of happiness and what we can do to get them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I will give you a coupon code for anyone out there listening. It's oh, cool. e- event 25 and it's 25% off that course. And it is, I, it's the signature of all of my research about how we can be responsible for our own happiness because I spent 40 years of my life searching for happy and it is not, in different husbands and different things. <laughs> I've tried all that. Yeah. Um, and I, I tried it all. I have uh, one-on-one programs that I have several clients that work with me specifically on their emotional triggers. And we go back and I help them rewire their brain for their specific triggers because every brain is different. So what's and your website? Where do they find all this information? It is uh, thegratefulbrain.com. 
thegratefulbrain.com. And you do speaking events also, right? As well, you know, group coaching, one-on-one coaching, online coaching. So I highly recommend that, you know, if there's anything in this time we've spent together, one thing, and there should be many, that make you sit up and pay attention, get a hold of Stacey Danford um, at thegratefulbrain.com. Uh-huh. Is that right? Okay, cool. So we got just a couple minutes left. So Stacey, I want to put you on the hot seat for a moment. <laughs> my favorite part. Um, I know it makes my guests a little nervous, but it's okay. Um, I will be gentle. Okay. You've had a lot of success um, and your business has grown by leaps and bounds over the last few years. So tell me, we're talking about mindset. What was one of the mindsets early on that could have stopped you dead in your tracks if you hadn't figured out how to turn it around? I would say me personally, I've made so many mistakes. Um, literally, I always say I'm the Join the club. A million mistakes. And I really felt like no one would listen because they're like, okay, we know all your screw-ups. Mm-hmm. which has really turned out to be my greatest blessing because I have screwed up and now I fixed it and it was science that fixed it. And mm. because I read hundreds and hundreds of books, every self-help book out there, I bet you I've read it. And I've, I've been searching for happy since I was a little girl and I never could hold on to it. It would last for a little while. And when I learned what chemicals do, and it's all about the chemicals, and chemicals don't care who you are, where you're from, how much money you have, they work every time. So instead of just sitting around wanting to be happy or wishing to be happy, you got out and figured out how to make happy happen. And I make it for myself every day. I depend on nobody out there to make my happy, whether it's go hula hoop or go hot dog whatever I'm like I, I know how to make myself happy <laughs> well and that's something I think that is so important for people to take away you have the power it is your life you get to choose you get to act you get to figure out how to th- change that stinking thinking and create a mindset of gratitude so let me ask you one last thing okay. what is one golden nugget one takeaway that listeners can do right now if they're struggling with gratitude what is the one place you would ask them to start or suggest that they do i would say first thing in the morning because that's your brains it's called the sweet spot when you are just waking up in the morning and you're kind of half asleep and half awake that first 10 minutes are like fertilizer for your brain and i always lay in the bed for like 10 minutes or actually nine because iphones have a nine minute snooze <laughs> and so i lay there for nine minutes and i just think about things i'm grateful for and sometimes i kind of fall back to sleep but i sleep and wake and sleep and wake but while your brain's in those theta waves and that's when your brain is really susceptible. And so I just think about all the things. I'm so grateful for this warm bed. I'm grateful for these covers that feel like vanilla pudding. I'm grateful for a little fuzzy dog that's waiting to go outside. And I start my day with a huge chemical rush of happiness. So then when I get up, I'm already happy. And then I walk past that mirror and I'm like, girl, you look good. <laughs> And so now we have come full circle because that's how I started my morning, my morning with, uh, yay, I get to do this. So, um, Stacey, I just want to thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. I am very grateful that you chose to be here today. Um, thinking about doing this program with you today was one of the things that I was able to get excited about to get out of bed this morning. So um, thank you very much again for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And don't forget, get a hold of Stacy. Let's see, event 25 on the website. Give it to me again. Yeah, www.thegratefulbrain.com. So again, thank you everybody for being here. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. Until next time, be mindful of the stories that you tell yourself about what is or is not possible for you. Don't let anyone else dictate your story You get to live it every single day. You have the you only you have the power to choose how you master your success. And when you're ready to write your story, 
reach out to me at bookwritingbusiness.com. Thank you for joining Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale, the expert in helping people write business building books. Join us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio when we'll talk more about how mindsets help or hinder success mastery. Please visit bookwritingbusiness.com to get more information on writing your professional or personal stories.